Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Lindsay Stewart, a trailblazer in the world of real estate investing. The passion for helping savvy property investors enter the U.S. market. Lindsay has co-founded Condor International Property Group and has been the founder and director of Star Dynamic Property Investments for over nine years. Specializing in U.S. real estate investments, Lindsay's expertise extends to high cash flow properties, offering unique insights into passive income and investment strategies. With nearly a decade of experience in logistics at GM Holden, Lindsay's diverse back background makes him a go-to voice for all things related to property investment and real estate. I've asked Lindsay to join us here today to talk about his journey and some of the lessons that he's learned. So Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? G'day, Daryl. Yeah, really well, thanks. Really well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. Now, before we hop into investing and investing strategies and mistakes people make, how did you even get into being self-employed? Were your parents entrepreneurs? Is this like a family thing? Everyone's got their own businesses? To a degree, yes. And my, my dad, all his life was what we always thought of as a businessman. He always owned businesses did whatever he could at the time to, to try and earn the money. He was good. Mum was always at home. She didn't work. We had, so it was a typical sort of family our arrangement there at the time being that's going back 40 some years now. But so I guess in that particular case, yes, dad was always a businessman. And looking back at it now, I certainly look up to what he was able to achieve over those years. Truth is though, of course, when I left school, I had it drilled into me that the idea is you go to university, you get yourself a good job. And, right. and as much as, and strangely enough, I didn't have, dad wanted me to help take over his business, but I resisted that, went to uni, did the whole university and job thing for probably nearly 30 years. To some degree, I view it as I, I wasted those years. I could have gone straight into business. and <laughs> But the truth is, I think at the end of the day, Daryl, Things happen for a reason. I would not have been ready to run businesses at the age of 20, 30, which I think it took some time for me to be in a space where I was able to do that. We didn't, I didn't start Stardynamic as a business until 2015, quite a number of years later before I started the business. And then it was two or three years before I was able to run it full time. I, there's a, I have a lot of respect for that because exactly what you said, when I was a kid, it's your interview, but when I was a kid, I got a letter of endorsement from the economic development officer of a Soyuz British Columbia. I wanted to open up a yeah. youth hostel. And okay. I had a friend's dad who had some money. He was willing to put up 50 grand and the bank approved the loan. And I was supposed to buy a building and retrofit it with sustainable tech and run a youth hostel. Cause I've been manager of a youth hostel in Penticton for a couple of years, yeah. the night manager. And I like shit my pants, part of my French, because <laughs> I was 19, turning 20 at the time. I hadn't had a girlfriend for a year. My biggest purchase was a car and I went against my mechanic friend's advice and regretted it immediately. And I yeah. was just like, I'm going to marry this money. And if I don't do, if this doesn't work, I'm going to spend the rest of my life digging myself out of this hole. So oh, I didn't I do know. it. Yeah. And so yeah. when you said, maybe I wasted those years, I was like, I don't know. Like I, I had the opportunity and I... Hopefully I made an informed decision. I don't know. Some people in the audience might be like, no, you should have gone for it. I don't know, man. So I think you made a good choice. I, I think it's, it, look, it's about being ready and whether that be a mental thing, whether it be a ready in life, whether you, I think that's really what it boils down to. At the time, I certainly wasn't ready. I actually think, to be honest, things like university, I think teaches you a lot. Now, whether or not you actually utilize 
a degree is irrelevant. It teaches you how to learn. It teaches you time management. It teaches you uh, a number of things that I use on a day-to-day basis as an entrepreneur in a business. I I certainly don't believe, and I probably use the term wasted. I don't believe that is the case. You look back and think, what if this old sliding doors thing? What if I'd taken that route instead of this one? But but at the end of the day, we do what we do because at the time we think that's the right decision and, and we move with it. And we're all going to die anyway. So we, to a certain extent. At some point, that's yeah. right. Yeah. You don't want to sacrifice tomorrow, but you still want to enjoy today. And so I, yeah, yeah exactly. I agree. So what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced then? Because the corporate, it's a bit different, right? And then now you're an entrepreneur. What were some of the biggest, I don't know, surprises or skills that you thought you, you realized that you needed that you didn't incorporate? I think one of the biggest ones, I think a lot of people fall into the trap is we spend so long at corporate you really do end up with this sort of, and I use the term nine to five mentality. The truth is those that work in corporate, especially middle and upper level management that I I did get to, there's certainly no nine to five. It's probably 7.30 till about eight. But the truth is in corporate, it's all about the number of hours that you put in and working hard. And for a couple of years or for a number of years, when I was first starting my business, I was taking that corporate mindset about having to work the number of hours. and, And it was all about trading time for dollars but as an entrepreneur that doesn't work as a business owner you're not trading time for dollars it doesn't i could sit and spend all day long at the computer or whatever it is it's really and it wasn't until my business coach pulled me up and goes no entrepreneurs and business owners trade energy for money and it's really about the energy that you bring when you're when you're running your business rather than the actual number of hours that you're doing it and that took me a long time to get out of that mindset that i needed to be at my desk from 8 a.m in the morning and i needed to be here until five or six o'clock at night to be able to make the business work and that's not true now i'm not saying you don't have to work hard you have to work bloody hard but the point is it's not about the number of hours that you do it it's about the efficiency that you're actually doing in those hours it's about the energy that you're bringing in those in the time that you are actually working and yep. whether that be four or five hours on one particular day or whether it be 12 hours the next day because there's things you have to get done that's just what you do whereas yep. so that corporate mindset of turning up at eight and going home at six or seven that doesn't work in business so that took me a long time to get my head around and understand that that we're not trading time for dollars anymore yeah we're getting paid for results we get paid we're getting for paid for that. results that's exactly right it's all about results now and the other thing is we have to now scale so we have to replicate and there's no way I can scale a business by simply just working longer hours it doesn't work there's only no, so many yes. hours you can work I love how you said that exactly it's about leverage and you mentioned f- efficacy that was the research yeah, yeah. we talked about that I had done all that research to figure yeah. out the critical yeah. success factors and the people always say Daryl what's the one factor that rules them all and it's self-efficacy it's being more effective finding ways to achieve greater leverage peak performance but one of the things that That's like right. you mentioned it's not like some people will grow and they just make a whatever six figures and they're happy. But one of the things people have to realize, and you talked about this before, that nine to five doesn't exist. Like I, whenever I walk outside and I see the birds and the squirrels or whatever, I think like they don't get weekends. Like the other morning, my cat was trying to climb a tree to get to this bird's nest. And we were laughing because yeah. my cat, the branch broke and my cat was hugging it for dear life as it all <laughs> came down. And we were just laughing because we're like hugging that thing isn't going to help you at all, cat, because it was falling. But the point is that bird can't go, hey, cat, it's my weekend. You need to get out of here. Hey, no. I'm tired. I, it's my week. I'm making a mental health day. Like that just doesn't exist in reality. 
So it really is about results. And even though you may have a business that operates and runs really well and smoothly, you know, you have to be aware of trends that are happening. Like you just have to have your fingers on the pulse at all times. And when I first got into automation, let's say my to-do list had 10, 10 things and I automated five of them. I think for one day I was like, woohoo, I only got five things to do. And then I was like, what? I need to find five more things to do now. Like it wasn't, I just couldn't relax. Exactly. But you, yeah, you have to yeah. be more effective. So what, yeah. so you say that, being effective, finding leverage, changing your mentality was one of the biggest challenges. Is that accurate? Yeah, ex exactly. And then understanding, once I got my head around the idea of, okay, I'm now trading energy for results instead of time for money, then I needed to make sure that I could maintain that energy level. And if that meant that I have to sit in the middle of the day and, I, and sit down and read for an hour or journal or meditate or whatever it is that, that I need to be doing, even if it's just getting out, we own a property now, even if it's just getting out and going for a walk around the property, just to recharge that energy level so that then I can take the next meeting and bring that 110 ah. minutes to that meeting, that I needed to start allowing myself to do instead of thinking that, again, I needed to be sitting at the desk all day. <laughs> that's right. and, that's really, and that's really what it is. And it might be taking a day going, you know what? Today, I'm not going to work on the business. I'm going to go fishing. Or today, I just need to spend time with the family. Or yep. And that's what we do. But then on the other hand, when something, as you say, when that branch breaks, you need to be out there doing everything you need, you can to be fixing up and putting out that fire. And that's really how, the, I guess, over time, I learned that to be more flexible, to get out mm -hmm. of that nine to five mentality and mindset and understand that it's, it is about energy but it's also about looking after your own energy and making sure that you recharge that energy. Yeah. You know, that that's that was, I guess, probably overall. I mean, there's been small challenges here and there, of course, all the way through. Starting a new business is always a challenge going through. We had lockdowns here in, in Australia, particularly in Melbourne, for two and nearly two and a half years over that whole pandemic. And that was a challenge in its own right. But I think the biggest challenge we face migrating from the corporate world to the business world is understanding that it requires an entirely different mindset to succeed. Yeah. Okay. I hear what you're saying. It's not just time management, it's energy management, but also yeah, a mindset. What is this? What is the mindset that they need to succeed? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm asking, what is it? What that's, is it? Yeah. Well, What's the whole new mindset? I, I guess what that's, is the mindset? That, and I, I guess that's different depending on the industry you're in. It's really, again, understanding that you are trading energy for results so changing that sort of thought pattern. Whether you do them or someone else does them, they have to get done. That's, that's it, right? right? Whether you do it or someone else does it, those things right. must get done. Yes. They must right. get done. That's exactly right. There's, yeah, there's no alternatives here. And in a lot of cases, you also have to come to the conclusion in that you can't necessarily do everything. As much as we try, and even in the first number of years of the business, it was just me. And I did everything, every part of the business. But there's also a point where that only gets you so far. Right, you just right. can't do it all yourself. So you need to understand that at some point you need to be able to step back. You need to be able to rely on other people to do to do some of the work for you. Yeah. Uh, and that's where, as you were saying, leverage and scalability can come in. Once you can relinquish some of the duties, and it's hard because... I don't know of a business owner that's not a control freak. I mean, that we are, that's how it works. But we have to release some of that control and allow other people to 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 assist. And, and you're always monitoring and making sure that everything's going well and helping them as much as you can. But you have to be able to do that, to be able to re relinquish some of the tasks so that 
you can then scale. One of the biggest mistakes that I made in the early days, and I think to some degree, I probably still do this today, is I spend too much time working in the business and not enough time working on the business. Yeah. You know, and that's the point because you working in the business, I am the best person to do that. It's my business. I know it intimately. I know the job well. It's exactly what I do. So therefore, you just assume that, okay, I'm the best person to do it. So therefore, you do it. But that's actually not what's best for the business. Yeah. And again, that's a change of mindset. That's going, okay, I have to understand that what's best for the business, while I believe I'm probably the best person to work in it, I need to get out of that. And I need to allow others to do it. And I need to train and mentor and coach so that I can then be working on the business to allow the business to grow. And that's a weird feeling. I know when I was building one of my first teams, I had days where I didn't have anything to do. And I felt like I was being like a lazy bum. I'm not doing any work. There's a, I need to earn this money I'm making. I'm not. That's right. I'm, but I'm you see, Daryl, that's your nine to five mindset, right? Because that's making you think that you have to work X number of hours to be able to earn the money. And that doesn't work that way. You look at, and I read a book a few years ago, the biography with Richard Branson, and he doesn't work nine to five. Yeah. In fact, he may have a day where he works three hours, but yep. in those three hours, he brings so much intensity and so much energy and can earn so much money in those three hours. Right. Then he goes and he sits on the beach for the rest of the afternoon. Now, that's not him being lazy. That's And that's where we've got to change our own mindset and thinking, okay, the fact that I don't have all of these tasks to do today and there's only one task, but that one task might be critical. Yep. Right? Yeah. And it might need all of your energy for the day to, ta- to complete that task. Yep. And then you've succeeded for your day. And yeah. then you might need to spend the rest of the day recharging that energy. And that doesn't mean that you're lazy or you're not, or you're procrastinating or you're doing anything wrong. Yep. And that's the thing. You beat yourself up for not working hard sometimes when you're doing just what you need to be doing yep 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 yeah yeah that's very well said that's where like leverage comes in together if i could give you an army of ten thousand robots what would you have them do to earn you a living and for a lot of people they may or may not realize but that's what software has been right that's what created the software revolution all these tech millionaires and billionaires that have come about it's because software is our software is robots they just are one made out of built out of ones and zeros and they live in servers computers and so it's the same thing and that's where cost of replication comes and that's where you say so much energy intensity it might not even be that it's just smart work right i could whatever i could write someone so there's two different problems i could dictate this letter for someone they could dictate to me and i'll write it or I could program this software that learns their voice and then can dictate it for them, right? And that's the that's the difference. So you talk about efficiency and scale and even just about what kind of business are you in almost, right? Like you can yeah. earn a nice living and then you need to invest that money wisely because the money that you're making today with what you're doing may become, may dry up on you. That river of gold may dry up at some point, right? Like that's people- right. Newspaper subscriptions, they used to be considered rivers of gold. And then blogs came out and all of a sudden those rivers started drying up because they forgot the business that they were really in. So what would you recommend to someone who's either just starting out or maybe struggling right now? Do you have any advice for them? Very vague general question. Look, I think one of the perseverance, I think is important, even if you're struggling. And one of the things, and you can't see my whiteboard from here, but one of the things that I wrote on the whiteboard a number of years ago that really resonated with me, and it was a business coach of mine that sort of, that, that told it to me, but 
he he said resistance is always greatest right before the breakthrough. And sometimes when you're struggling and nothing's going right and everything seems to be against you at the time, you literally might be just around the corner from that breakthrough, from everything then falling into place. And the problem is 80% of people at that point in time would give up. You know, they think, no, that's it. It's not working. It doesn't work. And that now, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you need to make sure that you've got a good business plan. You need to make sure you've got the right people in place and that there is there's some criteria around that. But on the other hand, you know, just because things are getting difficult and things are hard, sometimes it's easy to look at it and go, no, this isn't going to work. We'll have to try something else when right. you could literally be just around the corner from that breakthrough. So I think perseverance, if you know you're on a, you're on a winning idea, it, it can just simply be that extra 10% that pushes you through the barrier and away you go. And then you got clear skies. That's yeah. probably the number one thing I found. Yeah, I, it reminded me of this quote. I don't know who said it, but things have to be hard before they can be, things will always be hard before they become easy. You know, the that's first right. time you do anything, exactly. it'll be hard. So when you say, oh, that's it's it. hard, that's okay. It's supposed to be that way. It doesn't mean it's going right. to stay that way. You know, it's the same as learning to walk. It's the same as learning to ride a bike. It's the same as learning to drive. When you're first doing it, it's difficult. You're out of your comfort zone and it's hard. But now it's it becomes muscle memory. You're not yep. even thinking about it. Now you're driving a car and drinking a coffee and checking your phone, even though you shouldn't be. All this sort of stuff, when, when you were learning, you were just so concerned about just simply driving that vehicle. And it becomes easy after a while, but it, it starts hard. And that's how it all works. Business is the same. When you're first getting your business off the ground, it's hard. It's really hard. But there are times it becomes easy. And, and automation is important. You need to find where, what tasks are you doing that you can actually automate and save you a lot of time. Because once yep. again, it's not about the number of hours you work or yep. how hard you work, right? It's about being smart and efficient. And if it's efficient to spend a day researching the right software to install, to then take half of your to-do list off, then yeah. that's efficiency, right? That's not that's working smarter, not harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. A lot of people, so they say problems are markets. And so every business exists to solve a problem. And that's mm. what you get paid for, solving that problem. And there's a couple of things to consider is one, if if you, I always call it the black box, like what's your black box? If you think of a dentist office, people go there crying and in pain on one end and they go into the black box, they leave smiling and happy on the other side, or they're being proactive. They're just getting the regular checkup. But that black box, that's the problem that they solve. And then the as a business owner, your job is to rescue the world, all the suffering people of the world and help prevent. And people will always sometimes glamorize. I wish I lived in the medieval ages. I don't know about that. Women had six, seven kids because only one or two would live. I don't know if holding a child that dies in your arms is and watching them like pass away and there's you're helpless. You don't know. They have diarrhea. Di people used to die from diarrhea. Like that used to be like the end. Oh, you got diarrhea. That's it. Your days are numbered. Now it's just an easy, it's an easy fix. You just go to the store and you get some stuff and you're better. So I just don't, yeah. I don't know about that. It's about solving these problems and solving them yeah. better. And so often, yeah. like you mentioned, people have a hard time delegating to the teams, but the real focus needs to be on what problem are we trying to solve and trying to solve that better and better. And like, again, whether you do it or someone else does it, it has to get done. When you go to a McDonald's drive-thru, they're never like, oh, Sally needed a day off, so drive throughs closed today. Like they have systems in place so they can, they built a billion dollar business on teenage labor, like un, yeah. unskilled labor, yeah. not fully that's cooked right. in the education system, labor. And that's because they had systems in place that they could just try to recruit and have people on hand to, to, feed, to feed people. Whether you agree, I don't think they have good food, but that's besides the point. Yeah, now, great. Hmm. what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making in business? I guess- 
without wanting to sound like a broken record, I guess one of the biggest mistakes is, is either A, trying to do it all yourself, which you're always going to be limited as to how much energy you ha- have, how much time you actually have. And, and I think that's what holds a lot of people back, held me back for years. You know, doing it all myself, I thought was the right way to go, but that's that turned out it was a mistake. That That's a very limiting factor and a limiting mindset. So you've wow. got to You've got to be able to let that go. I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that that a lot of business owners do make, not letting go of that. Having said that, and I know we were just talking before about not giving up, sometimes you've also got to be flexible. Mm. And one of the things, one of the things even just recently, the whole pandemic taught us is being able to be flexible and being able to be pivot and to change your business quickly if you need to if the market changes can be very important just being stuck in the same old way you look at look at Kodak or something like that some very successful businesses that just simply were stuck in the way they did things didn't see the changes coming in the market even when they saw the changes coming were ignoring them going no everyone will want film and next thing they've disappeared and that's just simply not recognizing or trying to ignore that that the markets are changing and then therefore you need to change and i think we saw that in going back to even in in my corporate days i saw that at general motors things were changing and general motors wasn't and and they really struggled and and even historically they almost went bankrupt in Mm -hmm. in, what was it just after the gfc 2010 2011 2012 they're in a lot of trouble And, and it's just simply because the cars they were making are not what people wanted anymore but the size of the business and the size of the company was very difficult to be able to change and to pivot. So I think it's important to to be able to recognize that, okay, maybe we need to change something here. And we went for over two years from doing a large number of property renovations and flips to doing training courses and coaching and mentoring because we were in lockdown. We weren't allowed to go and do that. Contractors weren't allowed to go to properties and so forth. It was either that or just stop. We just pivoted quickly, started doing training courses, started doing some coaching and mentoring. And then as things back opened up, we started to transition back through to the flips again. So it's it can often be just a matter of being capable and flexible enough to change if you need to. I love that. I think that's really, I think that's really good. So how did you get into do what you're doing now? You just, you quit your job and decided I'm going to get into property investment and coaching people on investing in real estate. Like, where did that come from? Yeah, not quite. I mean, I guess real estate's always been a bit of a passion of mine. My, my dad was always into real estate as well. I knew even from a young age that real estate was a good vehicle to wealth. It's the you number know, one. Like back in, yeah, that's only, right. Only and, land. And exactly. I think back <laughs> in those days, land. back in those days, I think I was focused on getting a good job to earn a high income so that I could invest in in property. But we had some, we were doing some small developments and dealing with city councils and so forth were taking a long time. So I was on the lookout for some something that I could do that wasn't going in Australia here. Our property market is extremely expensive. It takes a lot of money to get into, we can, even with borrowing you still need a 10, 20% deposit, which can be two or $300,000. There can be a very expensive market. I was, I'm was i a bit of a property nerd. I love going to seminars and, and conferences and seeing what other people are doing and that sort of thing. I was at a conference and they were talking about the US residential market and how it was much more affordable and you could buy properties for $50,000 and all yes. this sort of stuff. This was back in, in 2012. Um yeah. And I was heading overseas anyway for General Motors, of course, with the head office in Detroit there. 
I thought I might check this out and see if this is true or whether it was a whole load of crap. Got over there and had a look around. And yeah, while I don't know if there were too many $50,000 properties in reasonable areas, it was certainly significantly cheaper. And I started buying a couple of properties and and things started to roll from there. It wasn't until a number of years later, we were getting some good results with the property market ourselves in the US. We had a couple of colleagues and said they knew what we were doing and wanted to ask if we could get them some properties. So we said, yeah, sure. Bought them and helped them buy a couple of properties. They then referred us to a few other people. The phone starts ringing. People are going, can you help us get properties? And it was about that stage, I thought, maybe there's actually a market here to help Aussies get right. into the US market. And so that's when, that's how I really, so I fell into it a little bit as a business. We were doing it ourselves, but as a business, it was only that we saw there was a demand there that people were wanting the higher cash flow properties you could get in the US. Right. And then we started the business and then it got to the point where it was going well enough that I could say, I think I need to focus on this and I don't need to focus on my corporate world anymore. And can you speak to some of the pros and cons? Because I've heard things like it's a bad idea to own buy property that you can't get to in 30 minutes, because if there's an issue, you're not able to go to the property. You got to go through immigration. So can you speak to that a little bit? That's Yeah. Look, to, to your point there, the truth of it is, and that's actually in particularly here in Australia, that, that's one of the biggest drawbacks, I think, a lot of property investors or a pitfall that a lot of property investors fall into, right? And there's this mindset that you need to have a property that's close to where you live so that, as you said, you can go to it or whatever. But the truth of it is you might live in a wonderful place. You might have one of the best suburbs or the best streets, and it might be a wonderful place to live, but that may not be the place, the best place to have an investment property. You know, the best growth, the best returns may be halfway around the country. Even if you're in the US, if you live in, in, let's say you live in San Diego, that's not necessarily one of the best areas of the US to invest in. That's in right. Like it Great might to live. be Missouri. <laughs> Great to live, right? LA, San Francisco, wonderful places to live. You're on the beach, you've got the sun. But as far as investment goes, California is one of the highest tax states in the US. In fact, higher than most countries. The cost to get into property there is exorbitant. So stupid. It's So that's. So well, just because you live in LA doesn't mean you need to have a property downtown. It might be that the best investment property for you might be Missouri, or it could be Tennessee, and that you can't necessarily get there in 30 minutes. But I, my question to you is, why would you want to? If something goes wrong, you need to have a team of people, a property manager, a rental manager, that, that are going to manage that process for you. That's what you pay them for. Right. So it, it's really just about expanding the thought and understanding that, like I said before, you can't do everything yourself. I might be a good business owner, but that doesn't make me a good rental manager. I might be I might be a good business owner, but that doesn't make me a good realtor to be able to buy and sell real estate. Now, right. in, in my case, that is my business, but you know what I'm saying? It, yeah. it, it may yeah. not be. So I need to find a good realtor that I can rely on who's going to get me a good property or going to get a good price for my property, or I need to get a good property manager who knows how to manage tenants and knows how to manage people. And it's really about delegating. It's the same as in your business. And I tell this all the time to people. And when we do our coaching, and I hope I'm not going off on a tangent, no, but when we do our coaching, people, particularly here in Australia, we spend a lot of time doing our due diligence on property. Are we buying the right property? Is it in the right area? Is it the right street? Is it the right price? And they'll spend months doing their due diligence, making sure they're buying the right property. But then they'll hand okay. over the keys yeah. to the first the manager, along, yeah. <laughs> right? and then they wonder why it all goes wrong. It's if you are if you have a company and you're hiring a CFO, right? Are you just going to grab the first person that walks by off the street and put them in the position of a CFO? No, of course you're not. 
right. you're gonna you're gonna interview people, you're gonna get applications, you're gonna check references, you're gonna do all that stuff because the CFO ha- handles the money of your business. Well, your property manager or your rental manager handles the money of your investment, mm-hmm. and you need yeah. to get references, and you need to get applicants, and you need to interview them. Yeah. And the, the process is exactly the same. And that takes a lot of that risk out of investing if you do the due diligence in your people the same way that you do it in your properties. I love that. I love that. Due diligence in your people. You, you, yeah, two things brought, you, you brought two things to mind. One is uh, a friend of mine, a friend and old mentor of mine, Kim McCarthy, he's the godfather of internet marketing. He put on the first yep. internet marketing seminar with Mark Andreessen, I think is the guy that made Netscape, the first browser. Oh, yeah. And yep, the banner yep. ad, banner ads were invented at his, he used to do an annual seminar. He's retired now, but he's, banner ads were invented at a seminar. And even they were doing video marketing before porn was really catching on. And porn was like <laughs> this user of video first on the internet. So they were pretty, oh, one go. of the things he always said was delegate as much as you can. So you're calling the shots, analyzing the stats and copywriting. And what he meant by the copywriting was communicating with your customers, communicating with yeah. your staff. Your copywriting, copywriting is a sales function. It's a lead gen function. It's a retention function. It's a training function for your staff. And that's almost like what you're saying. And that reminds me of for pilots. They have a term instrument rated. If you're an instrument rated pilot, because there's some people that pilot and it's almost, there is some instruments they follow, but it's also visual flying. They got to see where they're going. But when you're an instrument rated pilot, you don't even look at the window because you're just looking at the dashboard at all the metrics. And that's almost what you're talking about here, that if you're going to manage a property abroad, and I always was told that in real estate is actually a great, I don't want to say training ground because the the punishments can be severe. The numbers can be really big, but like in terms of real estate law and operating a property as a business, it's great or as a business. It's great. It's a great training ground for business because your business is like a property where you have a tenant who is your customer, you know, and you've got a exactly service. Right. There's maintenance involved and the value of it goes up and down and the legal, the, the shared ownership of things like all this stuff is all very transferable to almost any business just as a model in and of itself. Would you agree or? Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. And again, one of the things that we teach our students is exactly that. You need to treat your property investing as a business, right? You're not, and we say you're not a property investor. You are now in the business of investing in property. And if you can get that mindset right and you understand you're going to need capital to invest in your business, and it it might only be you might want to put $100,000 or $200,000 in, you need to make that capital work for you. You're going to get a return on that capital and you need to reinvest a portion of that back into your business so your business can grow. And it might not even be your capital, right? It might not. You might be borrowing it, but that's no problem. Other people's money is a fantastic opportunity to be able to, to be able to get businesses going and to get real estate and property, right? It's the best way to do it. If you can do it with other people's money, even better, right? Yeah. yeah. Because that, again, that's leverage, right? Yeah. The more leverage you've got, the faster you can grow. So if you can get other people's money, then great. But again, a portion of your return, you need to invest back into the business to keep the business growing. Right. Same as you would with the, with your investments. You need to reinvest a portion of that back into your investments. Things yeah. are going to take time. You can't buy an investment property today and be rich tomorrow. Yep. That's yeah. the same when you start a business. When you start a business today, no, I'm sorry. Dad. Lindsay, yeah. you're disappointing me here. I, I wanted to get rich fast. Yeah, there's there's uh, there's no Easter bunny either, I'm afraid. But it's <laughs> no Easter bunny either. I just caught that. Man, Lindsay, why are you raining on my <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. The Easter bunny's not real. Damn it. Yeah. So what so are yeah, some I mean, of the... yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
And I was just going to say, so that's, you're right. The correlations between the two are very close. And what do you feel are some of the habits that are, because it's a, it's not long-term success requires you to do the right things consistently over time. Obviously you mentioned perseverance and that's, you want to play long-term games with long-term people, but in terms of like daily, weekly, quarterly, annual, what habits do you think are critically important to be successful? In business? Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, I don't know where to start. <laughs> There's so many of them. Again, I think one of the big things as far as a habit is to making sure that you manage your own energy levels, your own mindset. It's easy when you're in a business, particularly when you're putting out fires all day to, to get yourself into a, a relatively negative mindset. And sometimes it's a case of having to pull yourself up and go, you know what? I just, again, I just need to take a time out. I need to go for a walk. I need to right. sit and read. I need to do a bit of meditation or right. journaling or whatever it is that, that that helps you change that that mindset. Because the truth is when you're talking to people, if you're talking to clients or if you're talking to suppliers or that as communication, 80% of communication is not verbal. What we hear is only a portion of communication. A lot of it is, there's a lot of visual cues. There's There's a lot of other things. And if you're in a really, if you're not in a great place mentally at that time, you'd be surprised at how much people can pick up on that. And that may then impact um, their decision or whatever. So that it's important to, to maintain that energy level and to know when you're down and when you've got to recharge. I think that's a good habit to get into. Again, balance is important. You can't, particularly as a business, you tend to work longer and harder because you're trying to make sure your business is successful. But then what happens is you start falling off other areas of life, your family, your friends, your relationships, spirituality, health, whatever it is, starts to suffer. And the problem is there is no, particularly in life, there's no silos, right? Your, your business world is not separate from your personal life. It's not separate from your health. There, It's all one. And if yeah. part of it is falling down, that's going to drag the other parts of it down with you. Yeah. So it's, again, the habit of making sure that time management is an important critical habit. You need to make sure that, okay, I've locked out these hours for me, my family, my health, you do the gym, you do the whatever it is that you do, you need to make sure that you put those hours into your calendar and you block that time out so that you can you make yeah. sure that you do all that. So I think that's another habit that you have to get into because it's so easy to fall into the bad habit of just simply working long hours and right. thinking that's what you have to do to make the business a success. Right. Yeah. You might just be doing it the wrong way. There might be an easier yeah. look at some of the more yeah. successful people and see what they're doing. So you yeah. can try to model success. Now you got to be careful about being a me too, because if you're a me too, there is the pioneers get the arrows, the settlers get the land, but you don't want to be too much of a me too, because then there's no innovation. And I, what I, my personal belief from things that I've heard is that generally speaking, markets are unknown and unknowable in the sense that if I asked you how many people are in the market to buy a car today, you might be able to look at some indicators, but we wouldn't never really know the true number and it would change every day. Mm. So ultimately it's yeah. unknown and unknowable, but everybody can recognize excellence. So if instead you recognize that a specific problem, maybe it's families, maybe a family vehicle. You know, family vehicle that's economic, has a high safety profile, handles well, dad can drive, mom can drive, kids that are of age can drive. You focus on the problem and you just focus on solving that problem in an excellent manner. Everybody can recognize that. And so right. depending on what you're doing, like you said, maybe you need to get help. Maybe, maybe you need to hire. 
Maybe you need to yeah. hire fractional staff. Maybe you need to share resources with another business. You mentioned mm -hmm. other people's money, other people's customers, other people's resources. For yeah. a lot of people, they consider themselves in business as a subcontractor, but really a subcontractor is often just dealing with deals they get from a handful of contractors that are actually getting the quotes, right? And so that's there's nothing wrong with doing that either. If there was a business arrangement, if you install pools and whatever reason your margins aren't that great, maybe you can refer people. Maybe after the they need swimming lessons, maybe they need some landscaping done. Maybe they want some furniture, right? Maybe there's a maintenance package for the pool. There's all yeah. these things that you can offer that you may not even need to deliver yourself or because you have customers, that is an asset that giving other people access to that, there's no work for you other than just that's the introduction right. to a reliable resource, right? And yeah, that's correct. where there's just other ways to think about it. So I, I like what you said. Now, I wanted to ask a question because I think this is a really pertinent one considering you mentioned since the pandemic, there's been a lot of career changes. A lot of business owners of, of businesses have been wiped off the board. People are starting fresh. You mentioned having to pivot yourself. How do you have any recommendations about launching and promoting a new product or service? How do you... How do you do that successfully? Because that's what you said. You had to pivot. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I think that there's a number of factors, I guess, that come into launching or looking at, at new products and working out what to do. I guess for us, it was relatively easy because I was able to still take the knowledge and experience I had and just wrap that up into a training course. And then I could start teaching. And in a lot of cases, it might simply be in on one case, what's your experience? What is it that you're good at? And what is an how better can you get to the public? And I can certainly get investors to come on board and we can help them buy properties and help them do projects. Um, and I can help investors one by one. But by developing a training course or writing a book or by doing coaching, I can actually help one to 10. One training course might help 10 investors instead of one investor. One Coaching session might help 10 investors instead of one investor. So I guess for me, it looked it, I looked at it as a bit of a either firstly a way to leverage to, mm -hmm. to be able to impact more people rather than just simply spend more time. But it also became, and that was at the end of 2019, but and by early 2020, it became a necessity because it was the only way that we were going to be able to operate at that time for a number of months. I suppose it's just a the only thing I would probably recommend is don't look outside your wheelhouse to some degree. And while while your new product or a new service might be needed, if you sell marine products, I wouldn't necessarily go into restaurants or if McDonald's, for instance, right? You can't buy a liter of oil. It's right. They while they have new burgers or they have new food, it's still their that's what they do. They're a right. fast food restaurant. In my case, we're a property investment company, right? Yep. So I'm not going to, my a new product that I'm going to sell you is not going to be blockchain software. Yep. And that's not my wheelhouse. That's not what I do. But right. we have a product, which is we call it the Platinum Advocate Service, whereby we help investors get into the market directly. We're next as part of Condor putting together a managed investment scheme. So that's another product, but it's still property investing right? and right, it's still right, right, you, right. it's still US residential market and it's still so I suppose when you're looking at new products you want you still got to stay within your wheelhouse what it is that you're good at and it's just might be just a different way or a different way of packaging or a different method of getting your message out to people you know you were talking before about copywriting and that's so true 
these days, I guess they call it content creation, don't they? And that's really getting your message out there and controlling the narrative of, mm. of how people perceive your business and how people perceive your products and how they perceive it to be an answer to their problems mm. is all really about the content that you publish and what you put out there, whether it be through paid marketing or whether it be organic marketing. As you say, newspapers are just about dead now, but there's so many avenues. If I was trying to create a business like I've got now, 30 years ago, that would be so hard. I would have had, you, the only way to do it would be advertise on television. And yeah. if I go back 30 years, that was probably even more difficult yeah. or advertise on newspapers. And whereas now I can, within 10 minutes, have an ad out that anyone in the world can see. Yeah. 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 And so while things have changed dramatically, they've also actually got a lot easier for businesses too. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah. see the principles, principles almost, ne- the tactics frequently change. The strategies sometimes change, but the principles almost never change. And when it comes to getting, there's really only three ways to get traffic. And the first is to buy it, which is paid advertising. The second is to borrow it. You're borrowing my traffic, my audience. I may borrow yours if you share this interview. And the third is to build it, which is like my my loyal followers that have found me and gotten to know, trust me and follow along. So you can buy, borrow, build. And typically buying and borrowing is the front end but you need some way to build because people buy when they're ready to buy, not when you're ready to sell and nurturing. That's an important part being around being, that's an old real estate thing. I wrote a book called tribal marketing, how to double your business 12 months or less. I don't even think I launched it on Amazon. I gave it away. I used it as an opt-in, but I, it was some, I think some of my best stuff. And in it, I talked about there's farmers, hunters, gatherers, farmers, and trappers. And so the hunter is like the self-employed freelancer where they go land a big contract. They hunted, they got the big kill, right? And then you've got the farmers, which were like the realtors. They would pick subdivisions and they would host barbecues and meet and greets and they would go door to door with flyers and they would farm the neighborhood. They would just be there and be of advice and hang out. And then deals would pop out. People would die or they'd move and they would just, I need a realtor. Hey, I got that guy's card from the barbecue. And so they farmed this stuff. And then you have, the what did I say hunters gatherers the gatherers were the employees they just go to the money yeah. tree I go here I put in some hours I get some berries every month but I just go to this yeah. tree and I get whatever the tree gives me and then the last one were the trappers and these were people that created things like vending machines pay phones things where you put them on the trail where people go there's a high volume of traffic and when people pass by they pay and that's almost like a real estate thing like location like it's about having a desirable thing where somebody wants and where they go. And so just the, those principles are the same. And for traffic, again, the three most, the, how the start is to buy it, borrow it, or build it. That reminded me of the farmers. That's why I went on that tangent. I was like, yeah, yeah. farmer, because everybody needs to, at some point, right? You got to build your following somehow. You do. You have to get your word out there. Otherwise, It's one thing having a, a product or a service that can solve problems, but if nobody knows it, then it's a useless. Right. That's the whole point. You can have the best idea in the world, but if nobody knows about it, or if there's no, you've got to be able to get it to market and get people to realize, A, they have a problem because a lot of people don't even recognize they've got a problem and B, that your product or service can solve their problem. Now, that's really what it's all about. Whether it be real estate, whether it be any form of marketing, that's really what it's about. It's firstly getting the person to understand they have a problem and secondly, getting them to understand your service can solve their problem. I love it. Where do you think the future of all this is going? Now we have AI, we've had the pandemic, there's the new world order, which is a conspiracy theory, but there's YouTube videos on YouTube, Uh, buy, 
the channel New World Order about the New World Order or New World Global Summit. I don't know. Where do you think all this is going? We got ESG. Uh, we've got uh, the climate boiling now. We've there's um, a lot of non-elected people with big ideas. ideas. Yeah. Where do you think? I, it's going? I don't even know if I could hesitate a guess in that. I'm not. Look, to be honest with you, I'm not. I'm not sold on the direction we're heading at the moment. That's um, such a nice way certainly. to put it. <laughs> certainly. Not, I'm not sold I mean, on that, the direction these unelected leaders are pointing this, us this in. Is, I feel like... This is probably a whole new podcast, but uh, but yeah. having looked from FBI an industry FBI has now joined the meeting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I know, right? <laughs> They're listening in. Got this yeah. little red dot in the corner there that's flashing at me. Yeah. Now, I guess from an industry perspective, I think, and the reason I love real estate so much, to be honest with you, is... It's one of the top five hierarchy of needs, right? For Maslow's hierarchy of needs. People want safety, they want security, they want shelter. Mm -hmm. And real estate housing offers both security and shelter. It's whatever happens, people are going to need to live somewhere. Whatever markets are going to come and go, I think real estate's always going to be one of those things. With web technology these days and blockchain and NFTs and people were trying to sell me virtual properties now in, in, yeah, in yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm not sure I've got my head around all that completely. I haven't got right my head around that one either it's, <laughs> it's sure limited scarce that I can't just copy paste to make more uh, of by this virtual yeah this is the that that's the bit that gets me right I get the concept of it that you're buying a building in a virtual world or a virtual city that you can advertise on that thousands of people are going to see Right. But I don't understand the scarcity because you're basically Obviously. talking a limitless area. Why don't you just have another city next yeah, to it? Yeah, just build some but more. Anyway, yeah. So, but yeah, so that that's, I guess, is why I love the real estate industry because I, I think there's security in that. As far as economies are going, we're in uncharted territories at the moment. It's, yep. and whether it's planned or hence. By, yeah, by right. accident. Yeah. Accident. Yeah, yeah exactly. Accident. I think there's probably some inverted commas around that. Yeah, we but, have all this AI, guess... all this computation power, and we just got real surprised by what happened. We know. never planned for this scenario. We've never rehearsed this ever. There's something, there's certainly a lot of things don't add up there, that's for sure. But having said that, one of the things that, and without going too deep down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole, one of the things that I guess is important is motive. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where I guess that's where I guess it's my biggest curiosity is, OK, if if, if all this is planned, then there's still a motive that we don't understand. And that and I guess that's the bit that, that makes it a bit curious. And until we uh, until we recognize what the motive is, it's going to be difficult to know exactly where they're going with this. So I can't really while I'm not happy with the direction we're heading, how far down this slippery slope we're going, I don't know. And I and whether there's anything we can do about it, that's another question. I don't know. That's why I'm doing interviews like this. I'm an advocate for the small business owner. Before we had small and medium-sized businesses, it was kings and peons. And the last yeah. few years, we've seen the small businesses decimated. In my mind, if you're under 100 million, you're still a medium-sized business, right? Yeah. And we pay, we, we are the middle class. We pay their salary. Right. We generate, we solve those problems. And again, when we talk about Markets being unknown and unknowable, excellence. Everybody can view excellence in the battle between communism and capitalism, free markets, true free markets, not crony capitalism. It's a battle between equality and freedom. And if everyone's equal, then no one is free. And if no one is free, there's no incentive to be excellent at something. And so this, but at that said, you have generational excellence, which leaves others behind. And so there is a whole, like we, we are one chain, one species. We don't necessarily want to break away civilization. So at some point, we do have to make opportunities for people to catch up. 
But all of this said, it's an interesting, it's an interesting time in our lives, in our world. And the best thing that we can do as business, small business owners is I think is focus on solving real world problems. You know, because right now, if you serve, even if you're a fitness trainer and you have people that have health problems and you're helping them overcome them without becoming dependent on big pharma, and then everything goes upside down, people will pay you with potatoes if all they have is potatoes, right? Yeah. So it's that real world value that I think that's, we're getting really crystal clear on what is the real value of what I'm providing and what problem yeah. am I really solving for people and focusing on being excellent at that. Is almost the best bet that any of us have to be have higher leverage to do it better, bigger for more people, and just to try to be aware that, yeah, there's a that's uh, spot on, yeah, and that there's a two way street between us and governance, and that we need to make sure that governments are supposed to be scared of the people. Like government, that's how it's supposed to work. People are not supposed to be afraid of their government. That is not. That's never been the beginning of a happy ending story no story that's as exactly, well, exactly. you know and i guess the other thing is the best that we can do especially in small businesses is, is as you say do what we do best and it's really and don't be to be honest with you don't be afraid to charge for it yep. that we that's what we do we can solve problems and we charge to do it right yep. and it's a win-win transaction really yep. and that that's what and if you can build those win-win transactions then the idea is to get yourself into a position whereby you have you have more ability to affect things. Yeah. And that's the point. And again, not wanting to go back down the conspiracy rabbit hole. That's not, not a we conspiracy because in... we had something that just affected every single small groups yeah. of unelected people made decisions that affected every single human on this planet. That's, right. so that's not a cons- that's no there's no theory there. That's full no, on. You're right. You're right. There's no theory there. It's not know? a theory, it was a fact. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a fact. So yeah, it was a fact. Yeah, don't and, worry and, about know, going to the rabbit hole. Say what you want to say. We, we, we've moved we're out of the cities. We chose where we wanted to do that. We're self-sufficient here. We grow our own food here yes. to a degree. Now, I could we could grow our own meat if we wanted to, but at, the, at this point, we don't, but we can. We have solar energy. I'm in a position to do that. Now, if I had my nine-to-five job, I wouldn't be. And so a lot of it, even in the, and this was back long before we even knew it was going to be needed. But the point is, success and wealth bring, gives you choices. Yep. And that's really what it is, what it's about. It gives you the ability to make choices and yeah. make decisions that, that that can then help you help others in, in those sort of situations. And, and yeah. really, I think that's all we can do at the moment is that get ourselves in as better position as we can so yeah. that we can make choices. Now, I don't know what those choices are going to be yet. And you don't know what they're going to be yet. Yeah. But when we come to them, we're going to need to we're, they're going to need to be made. And we've got to firstly either A, have the courage to stand up and make them and B, have the ability to do. And that's really what I believe is important. Now, the more in my case, what problem I solve is we're trying to help people get in the same position. Yeah, We're trying to help them through investments, get into a position where then for them and their family, they can start making decisions and choices instead of having a boss or a corporation or a government making the choice for them. Because that's your only other choice, right? The only other, if you're not going to make the choices, someone else is going to make it for you. So you decide what you want to do. Yeah, I love that. If people want to learn more, if they want to find out, where should they go? Probably our website is the best, stardynamic.com.au. They can jump on there. We've got all of our links. We've got some free downloads there. If they want to have a look and see what the market's all about, they can contact me through the website. No problem at all. See what we do. That's probably the best bet. Yeah, jump on there. Go check out stardynamic, S-T-A-R-D-Y-N-A-M-I-C.com.au for Australia. Yeah. Yep. Lindsay, That's this it. has been such That's a good us. call. You've given so much value. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you as I 
that's a, that's a, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, look, I've had a ball. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me along. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I had a great time. I don't know if there's anything you should have asked me, but, but no, it was good fun. Yeah, good, good. That was a good belly laugh. I felt that over here. I appreciate you coming, <laughs> sharing your knowledge and smiles and laughter with me and my audience, knowing that you have your own list, your own following, your own people take care of. So thank you. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Appreciate you. Fabulous. Thanks, Daryl.